thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. There's, uh, there's something to be said about how the sequel of a book starts. Now, I'll, I'll be honest real fast, I don't read a lot of books. I don't read a lot of novels. I've got one that someone sent to me. Oh man, they probably sent it to me about four months ago. I'm still working on but, but there's some famous literary works that are out there, uh, some that you've, that you've heard of, uh, that you know. Uh, y'all know J.R. Tolkien? He, he wrote the books, the, the Lord of the Rings. So his sequel to the very first one, here's how he starts. He says, Aragorn sped up the hill. It's, just, it's a strange way to kind of start, start a book. What about this one here? Um, the Chamber of Secrets, it's a sequel to the first Harry Potter, Philosopher's Stone, or Sorcerer's Stone book. The very first line in that book says, Not for the first time, an argument had broken out over breakfast at number four, Privet Drive. It's one of those, it's kind of catchy. It's like, oh, what are, we're going to hear about this argument now. But it also kind of ties back to the beginning, but to the first book. My favorite, though, is probably The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which I remember, I was talking to a person about this this last week, and that's one of those books, I don't know why, how they let us read that growing up, but I loved it. It was Tom Sawyer, but worse. <laughs> it's like, ooh, tell me what else he gets into. And so, the, so Mark Twain wrote Tom Sawyer first, and then he wrote Huck Finn. Here's what he said. You don't know about me, Without you have read a book by the name of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, but that ain't no matter. I love it because he, he immediately, he, he addresses the first book and then he discounts it all. He's like, oh, I'm going to tell you something else. Did you know that the Gospels, that one of the Gospels had a sequel? If you've been around the Bible a little bit, you know, oh, I know what sequel he's talking about. But one of the Gospels had a sequel. We're going to talk about it. We're gonna, in fact, we're going to cover this for the next eight weeks. We're going to look at this for the next eight weeks, and the way we're going to do it is we'll have a sermon during our gathering time, a little talk, a teaching, and then Monday through Friday, we're, as the leaders, we're going to help kind of look through. We did this during the pandemic, but we're going to help look through uh, passages through all of this sequel to one of the Gospels. So, uh, good question, by the way. What is not the Gospel? Most of us that have been around church, we know what the gospel is, but what is gospel? Like the word gospel. We know it means good news. We also know it means good tidings. So when we think about gospel or the gospels, we, we know that it means good tidings. It's, you, you know that Christmas song? We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish, and then it says, good tidings we, we bring to you and your kin. Have you ever thought about that? Good tidings. It's the, the word gospel means good news and it also means good tidings. The Roman Emperor Augustus, when it was his birthday one year, he had an inscription that said good news to the world. He had that written in Greek. The Greek word there for gospel is the same word for good news, it's the same word for, for good tidings. In Isaiah, Isaiah, so if you've trekked with me for a while, you know that there's a Greek version of the Old Testament. And so originally the Old Testament was written in mostly Hebrew, not all, but mostly Hebrew. But the Greek people decided, hey, we're going 
we're going to copy it, but we're going to put it in Greek. In the book of Isaiah, I'm going to read you three verses where they use the word for gospel. Here in Isaiah 52, verse 7, he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim salvation. The word there for gospel, same word. Isaiah 40, verse 9, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and don't be afraid. And in Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And that's a verse that, that would again be quoted in the New Testament. One of the earliest letters that we have in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, he says, Our gospel, again, the same word there, the same word that we see in Isaiah in the, in the Greek version of the New Testament, the same word that we saw with Emperor Augustus, the same word that we see in Christmas songs. He says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. In Mark, he says that he's probably one of the earliest Gospels. Mark says in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. At this point, Christianity, Christians, followers of Christ, began to see this term for good news, the good tidings that they wanted to, to, to give to everyone. They began to take this word and they began to associate it with Jesus Christ. The good news, the good tidings, the Gospel of Jesus. And so when we think about the word, what is gospel, not as what is the gospel, but what is gospel, we began to see that these early Christians took this term and they, they started to apply it to these four writings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because these were the four writings. You can look at, this is fascinating, I almost put it in here, but it didn't. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Mark 1, 1, Luke 1, 3, and John 1, 1. It all begins kind of opening the book up about what they're going to, it's kind of like their thesis or the premise of the entire book that they write. And then they, they put in there immediately about the gospel. I love it. Mark Strauss says it this way. The world began to see these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as the gospels, quote, written versions of the greatest news ever shared. That's why we... When we, if you've ever wondered, well, why do we call these book the Gospels if there's just one Gospel that we talk about with Jesus? It's because of that. So one of the four Gospels had a sequel. We studied some of his writings lately, uh, a few weeks ago, the week before, uh, the week before Easter on Palm Sunday. We, we looked moving forward with the cross, and then Easter Sunday we looked reversing with the cross. An ancient historian uh, and also biographer, Eusebius, he wrote that Luke was a physician. And I pointed that out numerous times. If you ever wondered, well, why do we know or how do we know that Luke was a doctor? How do we know he was a physician? It's because there was an ancient historian, biographer, Eusebius, who wrote about that. By the way, we can trust a lot of what we're reading, all of what we're reading, because of other historical documents around there. And this is the nerdy part. And it's boring, but I think it's worth noting because of people like Eusebius or Josephus, ancient historians who would write about the truth and validity of what we're reading here in our scriptures. So Luke wrote a sequel to his gospel. I want you to flip to the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be for the next eight weeks. If there was a name of a teaching series that 
we would do it, it'd be called Acts in Eight Weeks. But while you flip to the book of Acts chapter one, I want to remind you that the New Testament is the gospel. It starts out with the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the gospels. And then the majority of the rest of what we've got are the letters. But smack dab in the middle, I say in the middle, kind of separating the four gospels, the accounts of Jesus and what he did, and who he was and who, who he is, and then all the theology uh, written to churches that we, we build upon when the let, with the letters, we have the book of Acts. Luke wrote his sequel. Some people call it, some versions of their Bibles call it the Acts of the Apostles. And it shows what happened after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so that's why we're going to study it for the next eight weeks. Kind of like Trey mentioned last week, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were traveling with Jesus, didn't know they were traveling with Jesus. They were talking with Jesus, didn't know they were talking with Jesus. And then their hearts burned with them because they'd met with Jesus. And that's what we want for you. We want your hearts to burn with meeting with Jesus. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He says, I, we know it's Luke. I, we know it's Luke because of different spots in the New Testament, but we won't argue that right now. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus. Now, the word there for narrative, I wrote the first word. Like the Greek word there is logos. Jesus, in John chapter 1, verse 1, John says, in the beginning was the Word, or in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. We know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He's using the same word. I wrote the first word, Theophilus, the first narrative. I love how Luke just kind of, and he doesn't even know that John's writing this kind of stuff, and he's, he's giving the nod to the truth of Jesus. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, which means lover of God. It's possibly a guy who, I mean, you, you break down the word Theophilus, Theo meaning God, and Philus meaning lover of, so lover of God. Possibly a metaphor. I think it can apply to all of us, people who love God. But really, it may have been a guy that was financing his trips. Because we would find in the book of Acts that he went on a few different trips. He was one of Paul's traveling companions, we'll find out later uh, in the next eight weeks. And then he gives a summary. The reason why we looked at the sequel books in the, at, at the beginning of our message just a little bit ago and how they began the sequels is it relates to how Luke begins this sequel. He summarizes the entire book of Luke. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he'd been given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, he summarizes the entire book of Luke by saying all that Jesus began to do and teach. And that's his summary. And I love it. He begins this book here. He's like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I just want to remind you, my previous book, Theophilus, I told you what Jesus did. And now what happens next? We get into verses 2 and 3. Well, verse 3. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Today's message is part and tell. We are equipped to be, we are equipped to be a part of and to tell the story of Jesus. 
we are equipped to be a part of and tell the story of Jesus. And that's what's amazing about the Bible. Like we're, we're invited to be a part of this living and active word and then to tell other people about it. Like we're invited, I don't know if you ever catch the gravity of that, like we're invited to be a part of the story of God, the God of the universe, the God who spoke everything into being, that spoke time and physics and like everything in us and breathed life into dirt and created man. Like we're invited to be a part of that story. We're not here on accident. There's a plan and a purpose for each person, each individual that breathes God's breath on this planet. And then we're invited to tell about it. I love it because it's the one book that is old, yet never gets old. It's the one book that is timeless, yet it's always timely. And it's the one book that is endearing, yet it's also edge of your seat exciting. And we're invited to be a part of it. Verse three, he says that he presented himself alive to them. Uh, Luke's gonna spend the next 28 chapters talking about the beginning of the church, <coughs> God's vehicle to share this good news, this gospel, these good tidings. But he begins the story of the church in the same way he concluded the story of Jesus. I want you to flip with me to Luke, just a few pages over perhaps in your Bible. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. Here's how he ends his first book. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. And after worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple praising God. And that's how he begins the book of Acts. I want to tell you, it's equipping us. It's equipping us. He is equipping us to be a part of the story of Jesus. You and me Together, we're part of the story of Jesus. And I want to remind you, if, in case no one's told you lately, because I know I get down in my mind sometimes and I, and, I, and I struggle with purpose or feeling validated, but I want to remind you that you matter because you've got a purpose. And your purpose is coming from this Father who loves you, this Heavenly Father who loves you. And other people need you to understand that and other people need you to embrace that. Your kids or your friends or your coworkers, your family, your in-laws, your outlaws, like they need you to understand and embrace that I have a role in the story of Jesus. And I want you to like say that. I know it sounds weird and we're not going to say it right here because then we really would be weird. But I want you to embrace that. Maybe say it as an affirmation that I have a role in the story of Jesus. I have a role in the story of Jesus. Not just me, the guy speaking up here, but you, together, all of us. That's what the book of Acts is telling us. It's like, hey, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the Gospels, we're telling about the Gospel, the good news of Jesus, but guess what? You have a role. Now we find in the Acts of the Apostles, you've got a role because God created the church. And so you've got a role in this. You matter. And people need you to know that you matter so that you can share the story of Jesus with other people. I think that's why Isaiah said, how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news, the gospel. I mean, how else are they going to find out? I mean, they, 
Yes, sure. Romans chapter 1, I mean, there's a general revelation. They can look up at the skies, perhaps, and they can know that there's a God who created everything, but would they know that there's a Jesus, a Savior that died for them? No. I don't, I don't think so. I think that they need you to share what God is doing in your life, what Jesus has done for you, and what he continues to do every week, every day. So, he ends the book of Luke in the same way he begins the book of Acts, talking about Jesus' ascension. He's like, hey, guys, I'm here. Bye. Verse 4. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. And before we go further, it says, while he was with them, and I don't know if your copy has a, a footnote there, while he was with them, there's a Greek word there that's a little strange. It's only used one time in the entire, old, in the, on the entire New Testament. And so while my copy says, while he was with them, how many of your copies says, while he was eating with them? I love that. Like, that's, that's really like the Baptist way. Like, I, I like that one a lot better because I like to eat. I like to eat. I like to eat apples and bananas. Anyway, I'm sorry. I have kids. Uh, how many of yours says while he was lodging with, with them? Do you have that one in yours? No? Okay. There's a few older translations that say while he was lodging with them. It's a word that could be lodging, eating. The fact is he was with them in some sort of capacity. He was, he was not just... Uh, casually hanging out, passing by them in line at, at a restaurant, like he was hanging out with them. It was on purpose. Luke 24, 43, uh, of this account mentions that he was eating. So maybe he was eating. It reminds me of the lunchroom rule. Y'all have always found this. It's always awkward for me in the lunchroom. Like I sit down and I wonder who's going to come and sit around me. If you ever go to lunchroom by yourself, I went to a thing at another church uh, a couple weeks back, a couple months back, uh, to kind of help them out and, and encourage some people. And I didn't, I only know a few people there, and I was a stranger to the rest of them. And so, like, I remember I sat down. Uh, Mary couldn't come with me to the event, so I just kind of like sat down, and I'm just kind of waiting, like uh, the awkward person in, in the lunchroom. Am I going to be by myself, or is someone going to come have pity on me and talk to me? And uh, thankfully, some some people chose to come sit with me. But think about that with the lunchroom. You don't eat with people you don't want to, want to be around, right? As, as kids, we don't really think about that too much. I remember when I was a student pastor, I used to have to tell students over and over and over again, like, you need to go sit with, you need to purposefully sit with someone who's alone. Because, like, they need you. They need someone in their life, and that's going to be you. As adults, like, we make the decision. We don't want to hang out with people we don't want to hang out with. I don't want to hang out with the person today. I'm going to tell him I'm busy. I won't even answer the text message, right? It's us. We do that a lot. Jesus wants us to be part of his story. And so he purposefully sits with us. Now, in this passage, he was purposefully sitting with the disciples, not us. He was sitting with the disciples. But I want to remind you that he chose you. He chooses you every day over and over and over again. And he wants to be with you. You have a role in the story of Jesus. I have a question. Uh, it's, it's a really practical one. Who do you eat with? Who, who do you eat with? Uh, who do you eat with at work? Except for you, because you eat at home by, your, by yourself. But like, who do you eat with? Like, who do you eat with on Sundays? Who do you eat with on Saturdays? Who do you eat with like when you're invited to a shindig or party of some sort? Who do you, who do you eat with at, at work? 
Who do you hang out with? Who do you, who, who do you visit with? These, these are the people that we need to share the story of Jesus with. These are the people, I'm a little shaky on the story of Jesus. Okay, I don't buy that. It's a lame excuse, but I'll give it to you for just a moment before I tell you something else. But those people need to hear you talk about what Jesus is doing in your life right now. They need to know. They need to know, hey, you know, uh, my husband and I were having issues lately, or my kids and I was having parenting issues, or my wife and I were having this, and you know what? God's restored that. They need to hear how God met your financial needs. They need to hear how God gave you grace. They need to hear how you are about, you went off on your kids and you know, I, I, I had to go to my kids and apologize and repent. Like they need to hear how God is working in your life as a person or as a parent, or as a grandparent, as, a, as an individual. They need to hear how God is working in your life. They need to hear that. Here's what God did today. So, while he's with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. I love it. The Father's promise. And I'm glad Trey's not in here because he would so get onto me at this next point. But I couldn't think of a better example to lead out with. In pro wrestling, when there's, when there's a tag team, there's two people fighting each other, right? Or there's four people fighting each other. There's two on one side and two on another side. The rule is you have to stand outside. Uh, outside of the ring, uh, outside of the ropes, and you're holding on to a little rope, which you hardly ever notice, and you're waiting for the person to tag you in. If you ever use the word tag team, ever, ever, which I know a lot of you do, if you ever use the word tag team, it comes from pro wrestling, so shame on you. But I'm telling you now, just tag me in. That's what's going on. So your partner's getting beat to death, fake, fake beat to death, by the opponent. And every time he tries to come at you to like tag you in, they pull him back away. And so the crowd at this point is getting hot. And they all, most of them, most of them know it's not real. Some of them still know they think it's real to us. But anyway, and so like they know, like they're all getting riled up like, oh, just tag in your partner. Just tag in your partner. And every time it's like within inches. But as soon as they make that tag, they call it, quote, a hot tag. Because now this guy who's got all the energy, your partner comes in and he cleans house. And the crowd just goes bananas. Now, for those of you that don't watch wrestling, a baseball example. It's called, <laughs> it's called, <laughs> I gotta read it. It's called a, uh, <laughs> I researched this, I promise. <laughs> the bases are loaded, right? Your first person goes at bat, he's decent, he's a good leadoff hitter. He gets on first base, gets a single. Maybe he bunts it in. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he gets on first. Then you get a person that gets another single. And then you get a person with maybe another single. Now you have bases loaded. You have three people. The, per the fourth person in the lineup, they are called the cleanup. They're called the cleanup. Now, when I grew up, it was called the cleanup batter. But nowadays, like if you search it, it's just cleanup. They're called the cleanup. Can you imagine? So the idea is you get bases loaded and you get somebody that's really good at hitting. Or like in wrestling, he's like all the power. And like they they knock it out of the park. Or, or maybe they don't knock it out of the park this time, but they're the ones that usually get a double or a triple. They get what we call runs batted in, right? They're the ones that move the bases and score the points. That's what you want. Lou Gehrig, by the way, if you ever play trivia and the question is asked, who has the most RBIs of all time? It's Lou Gehrig. Surprisingly, he's got the most RBIs, like 1,515 RBIs. Meaning he hit the ball in such a way 
that 1,515 runs were scored by other people because of what he's done. That's the most out of any Major League Baseball player in history. Why is that a big deal? Well, because the person that was the next, they've got a few different categories. How many times you had RBIs? How many times you were at bat? How many, how many games you played? He had 500 less games than the person that was on the list that had the most games and was still on the RBI list. He did 1,515 runs batted in with 500 games less than other people with 1,700 less at-bats. 1,700 less at-bats. He was a champ at the hot tag. I'm just kidding. He was a champ. So when Luke quotes Jesus and he's talking about this promise of the Spirit and he says, quote, which he said, you have heard me speak about. When he's talking about the Holy Spirit, this is the runs batted in. This is the cleanup. This is the, this is the hot tag that we all want and need and crave. We need this energy and excitement. Luke chapter 24, verse 40, 49, he says it this way. He says, and look, Jesus says, and look, last thing he says in the book of, of Luke, and look, the first book in this two-part series, I am sending you what my father promised. And as for you, stay in the city until you, you are empowered from on high. He's like, hey, you, I'm leaving. And I know that's like letting the sails out, but trust me. I'm giving you the cleanup batter that you need. I'm giving you the power that you need. He's coming in and he's going he's to start cleaning house. This is the guy that you want to be a tag team partner with. You need him in your life. So trust me, just wait. Luke chapter 3, 16, he says the same word he, he's using. He's talking about how we'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Like he'll, you'll be baptized and then baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God, the same one that was with God at the beginning of the world, the beginning of creation, the spirit that hovered over the waters. He's like, this spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you're going to get him. So if you ever feel defeated, just wait. Because the Holy Spirit's at work and he's going to do something awesome. That's why when we are weak, Christ is strong in us because he's given us this power of the Holy Spirit. It's not us. We're not capable to do anything on our own, to claim any benefit of our own, but we get the Holy Spirit to work in us to give Jesus glory. God is equipping us to be a part of the story of Jesus. You know the old adage, you've probably heard it, God doesn't call the equipped, the people that are awesome, the people that have it all together, God equips the called. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So. Why do you doubt your ability to tell others what Jesus is doing in your life? Have you ever thought about that? It's my son probably knocking on the door. Have you, ever, have you ever wondered that? For those of you that don't tell others about what Jesus is doing in your life, why do I not feel adequate to tell other people about Jesus Christ? And that is a hard question to ask of yourself because you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Some of us, you know, we're, we're, we hesitate to tell others what Jesus is doing in our life. Others of us, like, 
Let me ask you this question here. What has God impressed on your heart to do lately and you've hesitated about? Maybe it's a decision. Maybe it's to talk to a person about Jesus, like you're, I don't know, about broaching that subject. It's weird, you know, you don't talk about religion or politics. And what is it that God's impressed on your heart lately and you've hesitated about, or maybe this is you, maybe this is you. You've had the excuse, I'm just, I'm still praying about it. I'm still praying about it. What is it that that's you right now? By the way, that I'm still praying about it. It's the dumbest thing. I, when someone tells me that, I'm like, okay, it's gonna be a long conversation. I want you to do it. To do it now, right? What was that guy? What was his name? He was like, do it, Shia LaBeouf. Do it, do it now. When God impresses on your heart to do something, you don't pull a Moses and you just wait. Oh God, let me make up some more excuses. You don't do that. You do it and you do it now because the Holy Spirit of God Almighty is in your life. You don't hesitate. Why? Because he who has called you is faithful. And even better, if you're like, oh, I still don't know if God's faithful. He is, but number, like number 18. This is a story of God and he's not going to let it get screwed up. So when God impresses on your heart to do something, I want you to understand and know emphatically that when you go out there on faith with whatever it is that God's impressed on your heart to do, he's not going to let it screw up his story. He is with you. So be courageous. We often misunderstand what God wants by thinking in our old patterns. So when they had come together, they asked him, tell us about this Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Here's what they asked. Verse 6. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Like they, Jesus is like, I know you're getting beat down. I know you're, you're feeling powerless because I'm about to leave. But I want to tell you that there's a promise coming, the promise that I've been telling you about. And then they immediately say, oh, but, but are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like they were stuck in their old patterns and old ways of thinking. And that's us sometimes. It kind of comes this, from this, this political nationalistic idea. It was a prophecy that, the, that Joel covered in his, in his little prophecy where the, where the Messiah of Israel would come and Israel would be restored to the line of David and Solomon. So that's kind of what they were going back to. And then Jesus says this in verse 7. Here's how he answers. He says, he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own Authority, you know, we look for days, we look for times. Well, God, when, when do you need me to do that? Like, we look for signs. I used to be that guy that would look for, God, give me a sign. And he doesn't need us to do that. It's not, that's not for us. These things don't matter. You know what matters? Telling the story of Jesus every day. Telling the story of what Jesus is doing in your life every day. Your kids need to see it, uh, or your, your coworkers. Your family members, whoever it is that's around you, they need to see you talking about Jesus every day. And we are equipped to be a part of and tell the story of Jesus. So Jesus reminds us that the story of Jesus is, it doesn't belong to one people. It doesn't belong to one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. He, he tells us the story of Jesus is meant for the world. Because he tells us that in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem? Oh, good, Jesus, I'm glad. And in all Judea and Samaria? Ah, uh, that's a little farther than I thought. And to the end of the earth. The story of Jesus belongs to the church as we share it to anyone in the world. In a couple weeks, we'll talk about how maybe we confuse everyone with anyone and we get bogged down with everyone. And so because we can't share it with everyone, we don't share it with anyone. But we are just supposed to share the story of Jesus with everyone or anyone that we come into contact with, with anyone we come into contact with. We're almost done. I know that some of us, we, we come up or maybe you know people that are like, well, I shared love today. I shared love today. I shared Jesus by sharing his love only. But did you share Jesus? Well, I, I, I was compassionate today. Great. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. But we need to tell what Jesus is doing in our lives. The question is, did you share Jesus? Verse 8, we'll be done. He's like, I want you to be my witnesses. You know, witnesses, I see a guy a few times a month, former lawyer, that was his career growing up uh, or all through his life. And like, if you've watched any law shows, if you know anyone that's in the legal system, like you know that witnesses share what they experience, what they saw, what they heard, what they, what they, they share that with other people. Like, well, this is what I saw. Well, tell us what you saw. Where were you on the night of July 4th? What'd you see? Like, they tell you what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced, maybe what they tasted, what they smelled. Like they tell you everything so that you know a good picture of what it is that they experienced. Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses everywhere. Not just in your town, not just in your family. I want you to be witnesses everywhere you go. Your role is to share what you've experienced because of Christ. A small task, this small task of sharing Jesus has now become a global mission at the request of Jesus and the equipping of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. I left out one thing in verse 1, and we're done. It's interesting because in verse 1, it says that Jesus, he said, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I don't know if you ever caught that. Grammatically, it's just strange. Even in the, in the Greek, it's strange. Why would he say began to? Why would, why would he write began to? Luke, as a physician, I've told you this before, is very pointed, very particular with his words. Why did he say began to? It's strange because Jesus' work was finished on the cross. And then, when he, then he rose again. Jesus' work, he says, it is finished. It was, it was done, right? So why did he say began to? Began to. Because Jesus continues his work through you. Jesus continues his work through you. Will you tell others what Jesus is doing? Will you be his witness? Jesus, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for these moments together. God, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters in Christ here, for those that are listening. God, you have called us to a great thing, into your story. And I know that because your breath is in our lungs. Whether we know it or not, whether we believe that or not, God, your breath is in our lungs. And so, God, you've sent Jesus Christ to redeem us. And so you've built your church and we're part of it and you want us to share about the good news, the good tidings, the gospel of Jesus with the world to anyone we come into contact with. So Jesus, it's my prayer for our people here and those listening that we share Jesus with everyone. In your name we pray, amen.
Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it was encouraging for you and that you have a great week. God bless.